0: Fly fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Mays, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Steve Schweitzer, and he'll be answering your most important questions on poppers, sliders, and divers. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Steve a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill in your name and email address in the form on our homepage, and we'll let you know when the next show is. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the broadcast at any time. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is property of the Knowledge Group, Inc., doing businesses, ask about fly fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Steve Schweitzer about poppers, sliders, and divers. Looking for that shot at a permit? Whip Ray Key Fishing Lodge in Belize is where you want to be. When you stay at Whip Ray Key Fishing Lodge, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from some of the finest permit fishing in Belize. Whipbray Key is just a 30-minute boat ride from Placencia. Once you're there, you'll be fishing Kermit Alley, one of Belize's best fisheries, and you won't be taking long boat rides to get started. You'll fish with world-class guides like Daniel Cabral, whose family has fished the area for over 30 years. If you want to switch it up and fish for tarpon and bonefish and make it a grand slam? They can make it happen at Whipbray Key Fishing Lodge. Book your next adventure now. Visit com. That's whipray, C-A-Y-E, Before we introduce Steve, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Steve's section that says, Click Here to Register for Our Drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away copies of Steve's books, Poppers, Spiders, and Divers, and Fly Fishing Colorado's Indian Peaks Wilderness Area, courtesy of Steve Schweitzer. So here's how you can win Steve's books. He must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. And the question will be about something that Steve and I have talked about during the show. You must submit your answer, and along with your name and your location, using that text box on our homepage. It's the same text box that you can ask questions in during the show. So um, listen closely, take good notes, and maybe you'll win one of Steve's books. Our guest tonight is Steve Schweitzer. Steve has been a part of the fly fishing retail and conservation industry for over 25 years, including a key position as the VP of Sales and Marketing at Whiting Farms, where he created the popular products Bird Fur, Fly Tires Variety Pack, and the Whiting Hackle Gauge. Steve was born and raised in Ohio and spent his younger years fishing his parents' farm pond for bass and bluegill with poppers. At age seven, his grandfather taught him the craft of lure making, and he was hooked ever since. Now an avid fly fisherman and noted fly designer, Steve enjoys backpacking, hiking, and writing about fly fishing and fly tying. Steve is an author of the award-winning A Fly Fishing Guide to Rocky Mountain National Park and co-authored A Fly Fishing Guide to Colorado Indian Peaks Wilderness Area with Mike crews. His latest book, Designing Poppers, Sliders, and Divers, is the most comprehensive manual ever written on topwater fly lure making. Steve is also a frequent contributor to the leading fly fishing periodicals, including Fly Fisherman, Fly Tire, and Angling Trade Magazine. By day, Steve is the VP of Sales for Steiner Optics. He resides in northern Colorado. Welcome back to Ask About Fly Fishing, Steve.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, Roger. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's been a while, but... uh, you know that new book sparked my interest, and here we are.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it took a little while to write that book, so. <laughs> oh, I bet,
0: I bet. And uh, yeah. did you do all the photography in that too? Is that?
1: I did. Yeah. Wow. It's all self self-published, so.
0: Wow, wow. That's um, you did some really nice work. I mean, I used to run a commercial photography studio, and so I, I really appreciate the the nice photography that you have in it. So. Well, thank you. yeah. 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 Well, um, let's dive in. We've got lots of questions and um, not a topic we've really covered on Ask About Fly Fishing before, so uh, pl- plenty of things to talk about. So first of all, let's you know, poppers, sliders, and divers, what are they, and, and what are the differences between them?
1: Well, it's pretty simple. Um, poppers typically stay on top, and they do exactly what that name says. It pops. It makes a disturbance on the top. And then sliders are typically meant to dart around, and uh, just under the surface of the water, on the surface and just just under, kind of slide around. And divers are exactly that. They they are meant to go under the surface, and the depth is uh, subject to the type of leader you use, and if you're using sink tips and that type of thing. But so we're covering all facets of the water column with these uh, these types of lures.
0: You now, do divers uh, do they start out on top, or are they designed to, to start out? Think right yeah they way. can
1: um many of them i i tie um they'll become neutral buoyant, so they can start out on top when you throw them out there but uh if you uh strip them in uh design it such that uh there's enough weight to kind of keep it at a certain layer or or level under the water, and the deeper I want it to go, I just uh kind of adjust my leader to to get it deeper so yeah
0: okay okay and um we have some questions. Uh, we'll talk. Uh, let's talk first about creating these little monsters, and um, <laughs> then about fishing them. Um, but uh, Stephen Wethington uh, in uh, Kentucky starts it out. He says, "Is there a head material you prefer, such as deer hair, cork, foam? Uh, what do you prefer? Or what do you, you know? What other head materials do you
1: use?" Yeah, Stephen, that's a, a great question. A great question to start with. So thanks for sending that one in. Um, I've done a lot of work with deer hair uh, over the years, and, and frankly, it's just too messy for my liking, so I got away from it, and I uh, ended up not being as good, as it, good at uh, spinning deer hair as others that uh, do it today, uh, you know, big names like Pat Cohen and, and so forth, but um, I like balsa overall. Uh, partly, I, I grew up uh, woodworking and building furniture and, and stuff, uh uh, at the at the home that I grew up in, and and I just like working with it because I can hand shape it or carve it into any desired form, um, and it's a it's a classic material that can be uh, easily obtained. Um, there are some downsides using balsa, and I'll get to that in a little bit. I think with some other questions that uh, that we received, um, I ultimately like HD foam, high density foam, um, particularly if I want to insert legs through the body. Um, In balsa or cork, natural materials, if you insert uh, rubber or silicone legs through the body, you're uh, interjecting a hole where water can get in. And it's really difficult to seal that up once you pierce it with putting some legs through. And that ultimately will help uh, speed up the rotting of those materials. But HD foam, you can punch legs through and don't have to worry about sealing that hole up, and it, it won't rot on you. So that's why I like HD foam overall.
0: Yeah, there was um, a question, uh, let's see, um, uh, a little further down our list here from Richard Ruff in Chicago. He was asking about cork for poppers, sliders, and and, uh, and he says he wanted to know, you know, what about using cork for poppers, sliders? Uh, And he asked, he he comments that we all know Lefty Cray's opinion on on using corkers, he wrote down. I wanted to hear yours. Now I I think he just meant cork. But uh, do you know of anything that lefty cray had to say about corker
1: well um lefty um i think he had a couple popper designs um that he came up with one i want to say it's a potomac popper uh, it's tough for me to remember that one but it was honestly just a bottle stop uh cork uh put on a on a hook with a, a real minimal tail and uh and I don't even think it was even painted to anything. It just might have been just uh uh covered with uh a clear coat of some sort or a varnish at the time. But he also for, for salt water he he uses uh, high density foam in a salt water popper, I don't know the name of it offhand, that it's a little longer body and um usually yellow or chartreuse and one of the things that Lefty is uh, so famous for is uh if it ain't chartreuse it ain't no use. So All right. He was a big believer in chartreuse, and I am too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and Richard, if there's, if you're on and you want to clarify that, please write in and, and uh, see if we got your question answered there. Um, also, I got a question in our, on the internet here uh, from Timothy Weeks. Um, Tim, why don't you uh, write in and tell us what kind of water are you talking about? Um, warm water for bass and so forth. Are you talking about for trout, or what, what are you? What are you talking about? seasonal and then we'll we'll try to get an answer for you there so what are what are some of the other uh, pros and cons of the different materials you've hit upon balsa being potentially you know
1: yeah um, balsa is uh, definitely lightweight it's easy to shape Um, it takes paint easily it takes um, a top coat a clear coat easily from epoxy to uh, even a clear fingernail polish if you want a, a quick clear coat although that's not really durable um, it does rot quickly if it gets wet, so that's the downside of balsa. With with hard polystyrene foam or, or um, styrofoam, the, you know, the hard styrofoam, um, it's lightweight, durable. Um, you really don't shape it. it. It has to be pre-molded and pre-formed for you, like the Wapsi Perfect Popper Packs, which I use a lot. Um, I really like the shapes. They work well. Um, and, uh, it's a, it's a quick way to get, get into making bugs without having to shape your own bodies. Um, cork, you know, it's classic. It's uh, relatively easy to shape. It's durable. It rots, uh, a little more slowly if it's wet, uh, than balsa. But, uh, um, you know, it's just getting tough, tougher to find good, uh, grade A cork to make, you know, even, you know, you know fly rod handles, uh, fishing rod handles, and, and, and popper bodies. So I'd buy cork bottle stoppers by the hundreds online, on the online auction sites and so forth. Um, and some of them I just throw away because they're too potted. Uh, some of them I keep and uh, kind of pick and choose there. So I, I like to use cork. But, again, I, I go back to HD foam. Um, it's a little heavier than the other materials. It's dense. But it's easy to shape, it's easy to paint, you can poke legs through it, and um it's, it's just highly durable. If a fish's tooth gets in it, it's not gonna, uh, get chipped away. The, the whole kinda heel itself. So, really like HD foam.
0: How much shaping do you do? Or is it, I mean, what's, percentage-wise, uh, pre-purchase, pre-shaped, uh, bodies versus, uh, shaping mm-hmm. your own? What's, what's kind of the balance there that you find? Well,
1: uh, the more and more I get into this, uh, and the more and more I make poppers, sliders, and divers for specific purposes, the more and more I shape them myself. And ultimately, you're going to find that every bug you make, whether it's topwater or underwater, it's going to require some sort of calibration or um, fine-tuning, either by adding weight or adjusting where the body goes on the hook or the type of material you put on the back of it, or um, even if you use uh, rattle, um, little rattle, glass rattles, you know, that adds weight and it affects the balance and and the uh, the the way the lure acts in the water as you retrieve it. So the more and more experience you get, the more you'll custom make it. But I highly recommend starting out with the Wapsi Perfect Popper Packs. Get yourself going, understand how to make them, fine-tune them, experiment with that, and then you can go into shaping balsa and cork and foam.
0: And, um, you know, you talked about weight and balance. Um, how do you test that? I mean, do you put your fish product no, I've in I've got tank?
1: a – yeah, I do. I have a little a tiny fish tank, you know, a little kid's fish tank, a couple gallons that I just put water in and sit next to my fly-tying area. Um and I'll experiment with weight and balance on uh, by placing the body on a hook before I glue it on. Um, and I'll kind of tape weight on it and so forth. For example, a diver, I want it to start out floating for the most part. Um, and I'll put a little bit of weight in the front of that diving head so that the the front tips into the water. So when I start my strip, the tip is already in the water and it's it's starting to dive right as I start my strip. Whereas if I didn't do that, the whole body is floating on the surface and it would take a second or two for that nose to dive down and then start its dive. Um, if you can kind of picture that along with me as here as I try to describe it. So um, it, again, it's it's how you want that fly to behave. Um, that's how you adjust where your weight goes or or not. And then the length of tail, the type of tail material also affects um, how things dive or doesn't dive. It's, it's a lot of experimentation.
0: What's the advantage of having a diver start out floating?
1: Well, if the diver, if you don't want it to go too uh, too shallow, or too deep rather, and stay kind of shallow, um, in, in shallow ponds, if you think about it, a frog, we typically think of a popper as a frog. In the... Stores you see frog poppers, but how many frogs have you seen actually chug along the surface and pop? I haven't that seen one there. ever.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, they they slide and dive, and when they dive, their, their legs stick out long long behind them as they you know propel themselves underwater, and they're pretty pretty good swimmers. So I start a diver on the surface like a frog and then make sure it dives like a frog, and then it'll come back up to the surface to rest for a few seconds. And so when I fish a frog, I fish a diver and not a popper. Although I make poppers look like frogs, that's just more for people, pleasing uh, features than anything
0: else. Hmm. Okay, okay. Now you'd mentioned there were um, several things uh, you you always consider about creating these types of lures and I think you like calling them lures not flies, right?
1: Yeah, um I don't want to get into the debate of is it a fly or is it a lure because <laughs> it it's a fluer, you know, it's it's both. Um and uh, but I call them lures because really a, a fly is a lure. You're luring a fish to your bait. So uh, it's easier to say um a lure here and then use the word fly to typically describe uh, more traditional fly fishing flies. And, and that's my opinion, but uh, others have other opinions. But uh, yeah, I focus on you know about five or six things when I uh, construct um, these types of lures. Um, first, and this is kind of in order, um, I'm a big believer in sound. So a popper works because of sound. It creates a sound profile in the water. And fish, um, and I think we even have a question of, you know, how do how do people, or how do, not people, uh, how do fish find your lure? Well, sound is the very first thing that fish use. They're really built to hear sound profiles in the water. That's how they can feed, even when it's really murky. And, um, And I can go into sound a little bit more in detail later. But then the next thing is action. How do I want this thing to move? Um, Do I want it to slide? Do I want it to dive slightly? Do I want it to dive deep? Uh, Do I want it to completely stay on the surface and throw water and spit water uh, and make some popping noise? Um, You can actually make a popper with like a chisel head so that it kind of darts around the water. It's not popping per se, but it's always on top. Uh, Then I look for color. Uh, Then I look for features. Um, So like a frog has long legs and Big eyes. So I build those as features into the painting schemes of the the divers I make. Um, Bait minnows often have um, a really dark top and a light bottom and a big eye. Um, So that's another feature. I like to use flash um, in moderation. Not a lot, but particularly in darker water uh, and murky water, I'll use a lot of flash. And finally, the feel of it. I recently started experimenting with using Softex uh, to coat high-density foam poppers that I make, and it ends up actually feeling like frog skin. And I don't know if feel makes a difference to a fish when they come up and take a a popper on the surface, Um, but it makes me feel better, I guess, in in (laughs) making the, the lure feel like the real thing. So... That's uh, kind of my five or six things I think about.
0: Great, great. Um got a question on the internet here. Ed in Weston, Massachusetts. Uh, hope you're staying warm out there, Ed. <laughs> what, you want to know what yeah. tools you use to shape uh, HD foam?
1: So I use a, a tool called the Spindler and it's actually a, a rotary tool add-on that I created to specifically use a, like a, a Dremel tool, uh, as a mini lathe, uh, to spin, uh, a chunk of cork or a balsa or foam. And then I just use a, uh, a nail file, an emery board to shape it by sanding it down as it's spinning around uh, 12, 1300 RPM. So, uh, the spindler is the tool I created to do that. And, uh, it's you know featured in my book and I use it quite a bit actually. So,
0: is it something one can make on their own or is it
1: something well, yeah. If if you're into metalworking, um, I actually have uh, Peak Engineering uh, make that for me of uh, the of oh. the Peak Vice uh, fame here in Northern Colorado and uh, it's, you know uh, it's uh, available online and through fly shops. So,
0: okay, okay, great. Um, uh, Well, now it's probably as good a time as ever to take our first break here. So stick with me, folks. We'll be right back, and we'll we'll talk more with Steve about uh, poppers, sliders, and divers. Watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market as well as unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature products, the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak Rafts. These rafts are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. The Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. They have been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of fly fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I have ever tried. After two and a half years of testing 15 models of kick boats, I'm convinced that Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. That's BigSkyInflatables.com. If you're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, we're talking with Steve Schweitzer about poppers, sliders, and divers. If you'd like to ask Steve a question, just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. So, Steve, I always ask my guest, uh, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? You just finished this book. That's quite an accomplishment. Tell us about uh, maybe what it took to get that done and, uh, and the other things hmm. you're in.
1: Well, the book started when I was uh, five or six years old, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, fishing my, <laughs> fishing my uh, uh, dad's farm pond for Uh, bass and bluegill and I I recite the story in the uh, opening pages of the book so I'll let those who have the book read it and enjoy that but um, I'm just actually enjoying getting finished with the book it's a three-year project um, and like the other two books they were pretty you know research intensive so I I need the downtime in fact this Sunday I'm um, headed off with a few friends to Pyramid Lake to uh, fish for those giant Lahontan cutthroats. So, looking forward to doing that and bending a rod and and uh, getting my hands on some of those big guys. So, got plenty of fishing trips planned for this year. I'll tell you that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, um, any chance you're going to use any uh, uh, topwater lures out on Pyramid Lake?
1: I will not use topwater, but I'm going to take some divers, and Are you? Uh, we'll just see up some some really dark colored divers i have not fished pyramid lake before so i'm going off of uh um experience and uh some folks sharing with me what their thoughts would be on that but we'll see you know who knows
0: here you have to bring your own ladder too huh
1: yeah right right
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we did a show on pyramid lake a lot of people fish from ladders there
1: yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately, our guy's going to provide that to us, so uh, oh, okay. we're going to have to travel <laughs> on the airplane with a ladder. <laughs> uh,
0: so, good, good. Um, and you have a website for all the things you do? And-
1: yeah, um, my uh, little publishing company is called Pixachrome, P as in Peter, I X A C H R O M E dot com, Pixachrome Publishing. See all my books there. and. And this, I think even the spindlers on there, and some basic materials uh, for doing uh, some specialty uh, topwater flies. So yeah, that's the the primary point. You can also go on Amazon and and uh, through your local fly shop too.
0: Yeah, right. Good, good the books. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we've got uh, some questions here on the internet. Here's one from Phil in Kentucky. Says, Do you consider ease of casting when you decide if you want the to- surface bug to float horizontally, uh, angle with the rear end angled down, or have the front of the bug angled down?
1: Ease of casting. Um, I don't necessarily, um, it's not one of my top considerations, partly because the leaders that I fish are three to four feet long and 0x, 1x, that type of thing, for most freshwater situations. Now, if I'm fishing for pike, it's a different story, and I'll, I'll put on a bite tippet and a little longer leader so that diver can get down to where the pike want to go get it. But for the most part, for panfish and bass, um, smallies, I got a short leader, and uh, there's no need for the, to worry about casting that thing. I've got a big, stout, weight forward rod, six weight, seven weight, and I'm I'm really just pushing that fly through the air. And you can, you can hear it. It, seems, it sounds like a jet going by you every time uh, you cast it. So,
0: Especially when it's like one inch from your ear, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. I've been fortunate like, so far. Uh, not that I haven't hit the back of my neck, but uh, I haven't pierced my
0: ear yet. So. Yeah. yeah. I did that once to one of my uncles when I was a kid. He <laughs> <No>. had <laughs> a treble hook, and he had an earring when we went to the hospital hanging down. Front of
1: oh, oh, that just sounds <laughs> painful. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah well I got I got payback years later but anyway. <laughs> done to myself yeah but anyway there's uh, yeah. another question from Phil. He says if you want the bug to mostly stay in the area where it lands on the cast what features would you design into the bug and
1: I well so if you're casting into a pocket of uh, that's in reeds or, or cattails and you want that bug to stay there the um, First and foremost, I'd put a, a hook guard on it. I call it a hook guard because you're guarding the hook, um, whereas some folks call it a weed guard. You're not guarding weeds. You're, you're guarding the hook. So, semantics that I use in my book. But I'd put one of those on there um, because that allows you – it gives you the confidence in putting it where you want it, particularly if there's a lot of weeds or reeds. Uh, and it's definitely a floater. You don't want it to sink because then you, you may not be able to see it or know where it is. And the other thing is when you're casting in those tight quarters for those big lunker bass, for example, don't be in a rush to pull it out of there. Uh, I think uh, one of the big uh, faults that we all do when we fish poppers is we just strip and pop and strip and pop, and we, we do it way too fast. And I can't count how many times, that I've put a popper down, popped it a couple times, and I got distracted. Maybe I was looking at my uh, fish finder on my boat or um, got the line caught up in my float tube fins and I had to mess with it, and that's when the bass decided to take the fly. Um, And it's at rest. So uh, one thing I learned early and often was uh, just fish the Fish the popper very slowly. Do a couple pops. Keep it in that area, like uh, like our uh, listener suggests, and uh, don't be in a hurry to pull it out of the zone.
0: Okay. Good. Good. Okay. Um, Alexander in, from Washington asked, "Do you like natural or artificial material?"
1: Well, I might be old school, but uh, I like natural materials first. You know, there's really nothing that can replicate a feather. Um, and I use feathers in most all of my ties. Um, I do focus on synthetics for flash and saltwater. Uh, saltwater is just harsh, and it, uh, it tends to discolor the dye in feathers if uh, it wasn't done correctly. It, uh, it's just hard on your equipment, so I tend to use synthetics, which is highly tolerable saltwater. Um, but for the most part, feathers. I use feathers, uh, you know, marabou. Uh, long saddle hackle, uh those types of things. Okay. Uh,
0: Jerry in Tampa, Florida says, I've read that you, that the longer the popper tail, the more aerodynamic it is. How would one determine the length to be used?
1: You know, that that may have some, some credence to it, but I, I haven't heard that one. I, I would think that the longer the tail, the more water it absorbs and the heavier it could become when casting. Um, in, in my experience, tail length didn't really affect the floatability too much, uh, or the casting, uh, but it does dampen the effect of a diver and a slider, not so much a popper. So, you know, if you wanted a, a slider to act like a, um, a kind of a, a jerkbait where it can go back and forth or walk the dog style, um, a tail, a long tail, is going to uh, kind of interfere with that and actually dampen that that uh, motion and activity. So, you know, if you want long tails for, like, pike divers, I certainly would make them appear bulky without the weight. So you're using something like pike skins or EP fibers to build out that profile.
0: Okay. Um, Which leads right into uh, Ed Wisconsin's question. Uh, He says, can a popper have too much material on it? Also, when designing a popper, should the eye of the hook come out of the middle of the body or be more towards the
1: bottom? Yeah, those are um, good questions, Ed. I would I would say the, the first question, can it have too much material? Uh, absolutely. I think a topwater lure can have too much material. Uh, like I said before, it can act as a rudder and mute the overall action. Of course, again, if you just are stripping back a fly for pike, it, it has to have forward action, right? It doesn't have to move around so much. But if you want to walk the dog style or a slider on top, Yeah, too much material on that tail can uh, really uh, ruin the action that you really uh, desire out of that that body design. The uh, question on uh, hook position, you know, out of the middle of the body or towards the bottom. You know, the the hook out of the middle, and I make a a popper called uh, the cigar butt popper, where the hook comes out of the middle of the body itself. It's essentially like a chugger from the spin fishing world. You know, it's a topwater lure that really pushes water. It makes a lot of sound. It's meant to be a, a tick-me-off type of topwater bug. A uh, hook at the bottom is more in line with that classic style popper, and it will spurt water and make a nice gurgle sound, if you, especially if the... Face of the popper is cupped. Um, that c- kind of creates a different sound profile. So there's advantages to both, disadvantages to both. It's, it's exactly how you want to fish and how you want that thing to behave.
0: Uh, let's see here. Uh, Steve Wethington in, in Kentucky. Uh, another question from Steve. Uh, he says, "I enjoy your fly tying videos and posts online, and hope to see more posted from you someday." I do have a few questions when tying large poppers for trout or bass. I have used many different materials for tails. What is your favorite and most productive material for the tail, and why? Mm.
1: Yep, I think uh, it kind of goes along with the question that uh, maybe uh, Jerry from Tampa and, and Ed just asked here. Um, the first material I I incorporate in most all of my smaller uh, popper designs is marabou. It, I love how it it continues to move even when the lure is at rest. Um, It just breathes in the water, and and I'm sure many of you have seen that happen. The second thing I like is some sort of flashy material, but not too much. And I like the way flashy material takes the available light, pinpoints it, and flashes it down to the fish's eye, um, whereas the body of the fly um, wouldn't otherwise do that. So flash is kind of an important thing to, to sight uh, to the side of the fish. Uh, you know, for big divers, I like long, colorful hackle, and uh, now I'm starting to get into s- some synthetics. Uh, but when I do use synthetics, I like to use the most supple, limp synthetics possible. Um, but there's a downside to that, and that's if you um, to keep the material from uh, fouling on the hook, you have to build in some some certain tying techniques to keep that tail from uh, you know coming and wrapping around the bend of the hook and extending backwards. You can do that by building a, a monofilament loop underneath the material, or you can um, uh, add some UV-cure UV, uh, UV cure glue to the, to the first like 20% of the tail from the back of the hook to kind of stiffen it, uh, but yet leave the rest of the tail to be pretty supple. So, yeah, those are some of the things I think about for uh, tailing material.
0: Uh, this goes along with that uh, off-the-internet uh in Western Massachusetts. He says, have you tried incorporating the new dragon tails on your thighs? If so, wrapping <laughs> around the hook.
1: That, uh, that is a, a great question. Um, I, I think I'm getting on board with those. Um, I just ordered them, so I haven't tied with them yet. Uh, but I, I've already visualized in my mind how I can keep them from Uh, kind of fouling up. But, man, do I love how they work in the water. Uh, So, um, yeah, I'll I'll report back. Let's put it that way. But liking what I see.
0: Who produces those?
1: I don't know offhand.
0: Magnum? Magnum? Dragontail? Orvis, I guess I'm selling it. i finding it on the internet right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh. Interesting. It uh, says from one of the premier tarpon guides on the Gulf Coast. I guess that's where it comes from. That there you happened? go. Yeah. Life like movement in the water. So, uh, you no, know Orvis has them. Uh, it's called M A N G U M, Magum's Dragon
1: yeah, oh, well, looking I'm forward pretty- to getting mine, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, see how that, that works out, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Oh, um, I, I want to ask you about um, hook guards. Is there a particular way you construct your hook guards? that works best?
1: I do. Um, uh, t- the simplest way is to tie a piece of monofilament going about halfway down the back bend of the hook, stopping there with your thread wraps, um, tie on your tailing material and then take the tag end of that monofilament back up to the eye of the hook. So you basically you're creating a a loop completely around the the bottom of the fly and uh, tying off that monofilament. That's the simplest way. And let's say you don't want a hook guard on your fly for whatever reason. You can always cut it off. Uh, in situ you know as you're as you're fly fishing so i build most of my flies like that um, except for the ones i know have special purpose like um, you have a bunch of lily pads Um, i'll put a forked wire um, hook guard uh, coming out from the uh, just behind the hook eye so it looks like uh, if you spread your uh, index and uh, middle finger apart and form a V that and you put that under the fly that 's what that forked wire um, uh, hook guard looks like. It creates sort of legs so that that fly can land on it upright and I can skip it across uh, you know the, the lily pads and pop it down on water where I think a bass might be lying so um, but um, th- that's a little more complicated to make. Uh, you can also create two loops of monofilament and split them apart underneath. Uh, uh, There's a lot of different creative ways that uh, some really creative tires have done over the years, but those are the simplest ways to go. Okay,
0: okay. And what about, uh, what types of hooks do you use for most of
1: your? Yeah, I like um, the kink shanked hook, especially if you're putting uh, natural material like cork or balsa on because that kink um, helps hold that, body on without twisting around the hook shank. That's a, like a Mustad, uh, CK52S, I believe. And then there's, it's both in, uh, in non-stainless and stainless models, so you can use that for salt water as well. And then the, the, a wide gape stinger hook for some of my bigger stuff, um, uh, I think Daiichi, uh, makes it at the 2720, I believe it is. Um Mustad also makes a wide gape stinger hook style. Um for saltwater, I, I use stainless versions of each of those, uh, but I also like getting into the Gamakatsu B10S. It has a big white gape to it. Um, it's I just love that hook for saltwater, uh, you know, one watts and 2 watts. So those are some of the hooks I use.
0: Okay, great. Time to take another break, uh, but when we come back, we'll talk with Steve more about constructing these uh, popper sliders, and divers. So stick with us. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams. And just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with their experience and coaching. A vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shoreline. Surfing and snorkeling, while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today, they are well versed in fly fishing the beach in kayaks on panga's, and are well versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack crevalle, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website at bajaflyfish.com. Again, that's BajaFlyFish.com. Dot com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. And we're talking with Steve Schweitzer about poppers, spiders, and divers. If you'd like to ask Steve a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send in your question. Okay, Steve. Um, let's see. We're on to talking a bit about um, uh, color. Um, what do you use to color your, your bodies?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I use uh, uh, primarily acrylic airbrushing. So, uh, but that doesn't—I don't mean to say that to scare away those who are like, "Oh no, here we go. I got to invest in airbrushing equipment." I just happen to have it for other hobbies that I do, um, and I find it uh, really easy to blend colors and so forth with uh, with an airbrush uh, and acrylic paints. Um, But I got to tell you something. The Copic airbrush system is a—it's modestly cost. It's—it's not a lot to get into it. Um, You know, a hundred bucks and change will get you into some basic colors, um, and the airbrush system itself. Uh, And Copic works extremely well coloring all those uh, materials I just talked about: cork, you know, uh, balsa, foam, that type of thing. And with Copic, it's a transparent. Ink, all right. So it's uh, um you can't add a white over top of a um, a color because it won't show through. Uh, so you have to kind of deal with that. I always start with a white bodied um, popper or diver uh, before I uh, apply my Copic colors because it just makes the colors pop and become more bright. Um, or start with a black body, and you, you can get uh, some interesting darker colors, especially if you add purples and blues uh, for bath. Um the, the last thing I use to paint the lures is there's always some sort of spots or dots or eyes that you put on these things, um, and I'll use just simple nail polish or tester's uh, enamel uh, for uh, putting on the finishing touches. I've even made flies that use nail polish is the entire color You know, just paint it on just like you'd paint your nails well not your nails but <laughs> your wife's nails and uh, um, it makes a, a relatively durable finish not as durable though, as if you were to use copic or acrylic and and put epoxy over it
0: by copic you're saying c-o-p-i-c right
1: that's right yeah yeah
0: and that has a what i'm looking at it has kind of a uh, paint canister, so to speak,
1: that plugs in. There. Well, it's uh, it, it, that's an air regulator. It it actually uses sketch markers made by Copic, and it's just uh, a permanent ink, and uh, it's an ink dye. And it will, uh, when you apply a stream of very fine, pointed fine pointed stream of air over the tip of the marker it will spray that ink off the tip of the marker onto whatever you're pointing it at. So oh. uh, it ends up being an airbrush using a marker. Uh, the the really cool thing about Copic is when you're done with that color, you take the marker out of the little holder, hand holder, put the cap on it, and get your next color. You can't do no that No cleaning with or anything, yeah. Yeah, with airbrushing, you got to clean out your airbrush, put the new color in, unless you have a, a bunch of airbrushes preloaded with different colors, but... Uh, it's a lot longer to do airbrushing versus with the Copic. Or you can, you, can, you don't even need the Copic airbrush system. You can just use permanent markers like Sharpies uh, and just hand hand color the things. You don't it doesn't have to be fancy.
0: And, and but you can't do that with the Pro markers themselves.
1: Huh? Oh yeah, you can absolutely. You can.
0: Like a Sharpie, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. What about model? Uh, the kind of paints you use for model airplanes.
1: Yeah, that uh, that tester's enamel, it, it works. it's very similar to nail polish uh, and works just fine uh, for painting small poppers. Either, I wouldn't want to paint big saltwater uh, poppers that are five, six inches long, you know, one piece of wood that's that long. You'd, you'd almost use a whole bottle of that uh, nail polish to paint one lure. Yeah,
0: I'm thinking of the kind of paint uh, my dad and I used to uh, use for model airplanes that we built out of balsa.
1: You know, yeah, that's yeah, that's that Tester's no. enamel that uh yeah would oh, okay. work uh, quite well and I've used it. I actually like uh the gold and the silver, the metallic colors in Tester's enamel very well. Uh so works well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, good. What what other materials do you find, you know, that are like indispensable that you just have to have on your bench when
1: yeah, I grizzly-dyed marabou and soft tackle. Um, <laughs> you know, having my background in whiting farms, I, uh, I'm pretty familiar with all the types of feathers they use, and you just can't beat grizzly-dyed marabou and soft tackle for anything you do for uh, topwater bugs. Uh, there's another, for flash, I like lateral scale a lot. Um, the the smaller uh, micro-lateral scale and some of the bigger stuff for saltwater, I just like the way it uh, reflects light and um, adds a scaling effect in the tail, and I even glue the large, the larger di- or larger width strips on the side of some of my uh, sliders to imitate the uh, kind of a lateral line on on bait fish. Um, uh, I like EP fibers and pike skins. Uh, uh, pike skins is uh, the skins part is spelled S K I N Z. Um, for my bigger bugs. Uh, It's lightweight, creates a big profile, big meaty appearance without a lot of weight. And um, I am a big fan of silicone legs, not rubber legs. Rubber deteriorates quickly uh, under sunlight and water. And and even in one season, you'll find them just getting brittle and breaking off, whereas silicone won't. Downside of silicone is it's not as durable as rubber. Um, rubber is extracted in one color, so it 's extruded uh, out of its mold and when it 's created in one color and you it 's very difficult to mix colors when you do that extrusion so that 's why you don 't see rubber legs that are psychedelic colors like you do with silicone legs mm. and in silicone you can you know i, I don 't quite know if it 's poured and then cut or if it 's extruded um, but it you can have multiple colors all in one strip. Um, and you can impregnate, you know, glitter as well uh, in, in silicone. So I like silicone legs a lot for uh, a lot of my
0: bugs. Okay. What about uh, other things like um, uh, adhesives, The finishing materials? I noticed in your presentation, you gel code.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, you got to be careful with using CA glue cyanocrylate glue, super glue, we commonly know it, with silicone, with those silicone legs. Don't use super glue to glue your silicone legs in. It will turn it instantly brittle, and it will break right off. Uh, that's one thing that, that uh, CA glue doesn't like to deal with. The second thing is, with any marker dye, like a Sharpie or a Copic, uh, or, or one of the BIC permanent markers, when you... Tie a bug and, and you color it up and you're all happy with your paint color. Don't try to glue something on to, on top of the paint with super glue because it will turn those dyes and those pigments red every time. So you'll have a, wherever that super glue touches, it just turns whatever color that ink was to red. Uh, don't know why, um, but, uh, super glue is a tough one to use when you're making bugs. Um, i ultimately coat most of my uh topwaters and, and even divers with flex coats iridescent lure gel kit It um, it's a takes about 24 hours to completely cure uh, so you'll need a spinning device drying wheel uh but it no bubbles super clear it's flexible you can actually Pinch a foam body that's been coated by uh, Lure Gel, pinch it, and it pops right back in. It doesn't crack the finish, uh, it doesn't yellow, uh, it's just incredible stuff, and, and I'm a big fan of using it, so, and I'm highly durable.
0: What do you use instead of the, uh, super glue? What kind of glue do you use?
1: I often don't even use any glue, um, you know, I just tie off, and then when I'm applying the top coat to uh, the body. And I've already uh, kind of put the eyes on and so forth. I just let the epoxy hold everything in place. Now, I I build the body, I paint it, and I put the eyes on and epoxy it before I tie the tails and so forth on. So the body's already ready to go. It's all finished. And then I just tie on the tailing material. Um, So I often don't even use any glue at all. Maybe a drop of tying cement if you wanted to lock in some thread wraps, but that's about it.
0: Okay. All right. Um, Dan, in Abingdon,
1: Illinois, asked,
0: do you recommend a true rotary vise or perhaps a standard vise, some rotary features?
1: Well... A rotary vice is going to help you. That's, there's no no denying that. Um, you know, as you're tying these bigger flies, you know, to be able to rotate it on axis so you can see all sides of it as you're tying the materials on. I, I think it's pretty helpful. You know, in my tying setup, I have several vices set up. In kind of a horseshoe fashion around me so I can do different steps of different things to do production tying on these. And, you know, I use a Dyna King Barracuda. I've got Renzetti Master. I've got a Renzetti Precision. My workhorse uh, vice is a Peak Rotary. And you know, it's a relatively inexpensive uh, rotary tool, but it's, the, the jaws are, um, you know, super reliable and, uh, does its job at a low cost. So. Uh, I would recommend a, a rotary but you can get away with that one. Okay.
0: okay. And um what are some of the suppliers the, you know the best suppliers for you to get materials from?
1: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. I uh I definitely go to Wopsy for the perfect popper bodies. Um you know, I think uh, hairline distributes Wopsy in the US uh, as well as Wopsy. Uh so uh, those perfect popper body packs, I think you get eight or ten bodies of different shapes and the hooks to go with them. Uh, they're kink shanked hooks. They're ready to go. I think that's a great way to, to start. Uh, I like Rainy's high-density foam. It's pre-shaped and in different colors to get you started. Um, synthetics are pretty common and, and really consistently colored from batch to batch, so I don't fret too much on purchasing those from uh, my favorite fly shops I go to, um, but When it comes to feathers, since I've worked at Whiting Farms in the past, uh, I like to go there and do some shopping so I can see what I'm getting. I can touch it. I can rift through the feathers to see exactly what the feather construction is like. So I'm pretty particular about that. And you can do the same thing in a a fly shop that carries uh, any feathers that you need there uh, from all the growers. Um, And then there are some... New materials like pike skins that are coming into the States now, but I had to source in Europe before. Uh, that's where pike skins kind of got its start. So um, I kind of go all over, but uh, ultimately my, my local fly shops give me mostly what I need.
0: Okay, good, good. All right. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, equipment. Um, you had mentioned earlier, but I, I'd like you to repeat it again That to what weight and length rods you prefer for for fishing poppers,
1: sliders, and divers? Yeah, yeah. For panfish, uh, I like a eight foot four to five weight. Uh, you can fish a three weight or a two weight, or even have fun with a one weight. But uh, I tend to want to get the fish in, unhook it, and get it back in the water. I don't want to to have to muscle it in with a under uh, under backbone rod. So eight foot four to five weight for the small stuff. I um, like a nine-foot, six-to-seven weight for, for bass, and um, uh, believe it or not, a couple years ago, I caught 36 grass carp on poppers, <laughs> uh, and I used a, a nine-and-a-half-foot, seven-weight for those, so I go a little bigger with those grass carp. Um, Saltwater and large freshwater game, like pike, uh, a ten-foot, eight-to-nine weight, um, you know, the bigger the fish, you got to get bigger the backbone there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, Steven in Kentucky asked about, um, uh, do you use tapered leaders or straight mono, fluoro when fishing large poppers, sliders, and divers? I've used mostly mono or fluoro and use it, and, and it seemed to work great. Um, is there an advantage to tapered leaders for these style flies? And if so, explain
1: yeah, that's a good a good question. Um I've experimented a lot with taper leaders on big bass bugs and, and frankly it's not the leader that turns over your fly, it's the fly line. And I found that um getting into bass tapers or um uh large fly saltwater taper uh lines, although saltwater lines don't work that great in freshwater, um it's really the fly line that does the turning over. And I said before, I use a three to four foot leader, rather stiff monofilament. I don't even worry about fluoro. Um, when you're creating a fly, that essentially you're doing one of two things with a topwater lure. You're irritating or you're imitating. And most of the time I'm trying to irritate them. The leader's not going to make a, a hill of beans to the, to the fish. so. Um, occasionally, I'll go out to seven or nine feet to allow a diver to work, um, but again, straight mono. So, good question.
0: Uh, yeah, Jason in Kentucky asked. Uh, a lot of people from Kentucky. <laughs> I think there's some yeah. good bass fishing in Kentucky, That's what I expect. Um, he says, "I use braided leaders. Well, will these affect the action of, of any of these lures?"
1: Yeah, I, my experience with braided leaders is with trout fly fishing in the high country uh, with you know little size 18 parachute Adams. So I really haven't tried them at all for, uh, you know, top water fly fishing. Um, I haven't had a need to, as I discussed earlier, I just use a straight piece of mono. Um, so, and even if I do need a, a tapered leader design, I'll probably just tie that up myself. So I don't know if I have practical experience to offer Jason, but, uh, give me an idea for something I want to try this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, um, uh, backpedaling a bit, we've got a couple questions came in on the Internet. Uh, uh, Kirk Dietrich uh, offered up this information about the um, uh, Dragon Tails. He says, uh, Pat Dunlop of Cascade Crest Tools partnered with Mag- Magum to bring the Dragon Tails to market. Pat is the main importer at the moment and sells retail and wholesale to Orvis and other Dragon Tail suppliers.
1: No, that's excellent. Yeah, I, I know Kirk quite well and uh, uh, look forward to seeing some of his designs using the, that material. And I should get my packaging within a week or so. So I might have to give him a call and get some pointers from it. There you go. Yeah.
0: Um, and let's see. Oh, another question from Ed in Massachusetts. He wants to know what what size mono you use for the hook, uh, hook
1: guard. I use 30-pound. Uh for most all of them. Uh salt water I might go up to forty pound or even use um the third string on a guitar. So it's a 0. 0.12, 0. 15, 0. 0.15, uh diameter. I play guitar so I I have lots of old strings sitting around. Um uh, but I'll use uh, old guitar wire uh to make salt water uh hook guards.
0: Okay. Okay. And um we have some other questions. I'm going to hold off on these just a minute. Um, uh, Phil in uh, Kentucky asks, uh "Do you, you mentioned putting legs on top water lures? Do you think that adding silicone legs to a bug's design almost always makes the bug better?"
1: Well, you know, there's uh, there's some rationale that could support that. Um, What I like is when I'm moving a popper or a a slider on the surface and I want it to stop, I'll stop stripping. But what I do like is the material that's on the bug keeps moving while that bug is still stopped, while it's it's still, I should say. So marabou in the back, um, real thin uh, silicone legs um, at the collar or threaded through the body those tend to move with the surface or the wind, and that just adds life to the bug. And uh, I think that is a fish-attracting feature that uh, that we should all think about when designing these bugs.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, let's talk um, a bit about fishing these lures, uh, proper sliders of ivory. Um A question came in early, but I, I was saving it here, uh, was um, Timothy Weeks in Fairview, Pennsylvania, he says, how early in the spring can a person start using topwater poppers with success? And other than water temperature, what other factors come into play for topwater action to be consistent? And he's talking about warm water. He's a uh, Lake Erie uh, area.
1: Oh, good. Yeah, I, I grew up uh, just south of Lake Erie in Ohio, so I've, I've fished that area extensively. Um, you know, uh, I've recently gone out to a local pond here in northern Colorado. Through a popper just to see what would happen. I, of course, I didn't get any any looks or takes that I know of. Uh, it's just too cold here yet. Um, I think water temperature is definitely a, a prime consideration, um, but also it's it's are you fishing for these fish pre spawn, during spawn, or after spawn? They they react differently uh, to top water, um, and again I go back to are you imitating or are you irritating and during any phase of the spawn, you're essentially irritating them, and you're, you're trying to invoke a strike. Um, so uh, aside from water temperature, uh, you know, like right now, I'm going to wait probably another three weeks here in Colorado until the water temperature gets a little warmer. We've had some good 60, 70-degree days lately, uh, but the water's still in the high 40s, low 50s in the local ponds around here. Um, when it gets to be about 53, I know it carps start getting more active, and that's when I start fishing uh, for uh, topwater around here. Granted, I don't get a lot of fish on topwater early season. It doesn't happen until late April around here uh, in, in Colorado. And then by May, uh, game on. It's just absolutely on fire. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and maybe, well, we're a mile higher than Ohio and
1: Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah yeah
0: but but lately and a lot warmer <laughs> than that air part of the country
1: lately that's you know? right, yeah so you can't yeah. really
0: count the elevation, i guess it just all depends huh? whatever the temperature yeah. it is yeah yeah um, so um you know one of the things um uh, that we want to talk about is um how fish find your lure, uh so could you kind of you know switching over to to fishing these uh and
1: talk about that uh, for a minute? Yeah, yeah. You know, we've got a lot of smart people before us that uh, did a lot of writing and great studies on, uh, you know, bass fishing and how fish find your lure from spin fishing and so forth. And and you read up on those, you know, uh, you know Lefty Cray wrote about it, uh, um, Dave Whitlock wrote about it, and, and many, many others. But the bottom line is, you know, in clear water, fish will use their sight first to find their food in clear water. That makes sense. And then they use hearing, and they hear through their lateral line, and then they have a a, kind of a in their cheek area, uh, they've got um, uh, some sensors that will sense higher pitch sounds. A lateral line can sense a, a lower pitch sound. Now, I'm not a uh, fish biologists, so I've kind of extended my knowledge there about uh, how fish work, but um, they use hearing in multiple ways throughout their body uh, by detecting water pressure changes, you know, lower frequency sounds and high frequency sounds. But in murky water, it flips. They hear their bait first, and then as they get closer, then they see it. So in either situation, hearing's a big deal. And so I believe fish find your lure through hearing it. And so I like to make flies that, topwater lures and so forth, that move water, create a disturbance, um, give the fish an idea that there's something going on, and then that fish will see it and, uh, and hopefully come and take it. So that's that's kind of how I visualize fish finding my lure, but you don't have to keep moving the fly all the time silence is also deadly and i you know i again i, I go back to i think we fish our our topwater flies too fast in general and i do it too it's so exciting to strip a fly and watch a bass just create a wake to come and get it and then all of a sudden the eruption on the surface is just you know the pop on the top you know the tug is the drug all all that good stuff so uh slow down sometimes silence is deadly in, in this situation too
0: yeah it's um i guess i've noticed it more in salt water than fresh water but um you know activity in the water and then all of a sudden uh, you know a typical example is you you bringing in a bone fish or something and uh and then all of a sudden the shark shows up you know where that shark yeah. it wasn't through vision <laughs> you know what i mean no
1: no think about exactly. you know,
0: like, that shark wasn't even 100 yards close, you know, and then all of a sudden they're there, you know. Absolutely.
1: So yeah, I've had that happen to me. and I've um, fished a lot of stained water. Most recently, last um, last spring in, in May, I, I did some red fishing down in, uh, the southern tip of uh, Louisiana, and the water was just really bad. It was just between storm fronts, and another one was coming in, and the water was just churned up. And I was fishing top water. I don't know how those redfish found it, but they did, and they came and, and took it. And so, I, sound is hugely important uh, in that murky water situation.
0: What are what are some of the other tips uh, you have on catching more and larger fish? Uh, yeah, the, the sitting still kind of thing.
1: Yeah, you know, I go back to that. And with- irritation, a mantra. If you're going to imitate something, you know, tone down those colors, get a little more natural looking, and focus on features like eyes and legs, motion, your retrieve action. Um, so if you're going to imitate a frog, uh, try to be the frog. You know, to Those who've played uh, sports at a higher level, you always hear the coaches talk about be the ball, be the ball. Well, that's it. You be the frog in this case. Um, for irritation, I like brighter contrasting colors and things that make sound. Um, I've even been known to make uh, sliders with little propellers on them, um, because propellers create bubbles and bubbles pop and they create a high frequency sound profile. Bubbles also create a, an image of life, uh, breathing life. So, um, But in murky water, beef it up. You know, Create a big sound profile and add some flash. You're gonna need it in murky water. Um, we talked about the slow retrieve in freshwater. Those are some of my other tips on catching more and bigger and larger fish. And I think here's the the biggest one. And we talked about the hook guard. It gives you, if you use a hook guard, it's going to give you the confidence to get in tight where the lunker fish are hiding in those weeds and reeds. If you didn't have a hook guard, you wouldn't cast in there because you didn't want to lose a fly that uh, took you a couple hours to create, or um, you know, you just don't want to lose it. So if you build hook guards on your flies, you're going to get in tighter. You're going to have a little more confidence, and you're going to get where those big bass are. Those big bass aren't going to come out um, and take a fly that's a foot out from the reeds because they know they can get plenty of food hiding in those weeds without moving too much.
0: Now, when you said the prop, uh, reminded me of uh, Pete Parker. Uh, did you know Pete Parker?
1: No, I didn't, no.
0: Pete, Pete was, um, I think the last time he lived, he was living in Longmont. Um, but he's no longer with us. Uh, passed away uh, a few years ago. He's a big saltwater guy, but he he had a a fly called Pete's Prop Fly, and it had a little propeller on the front of it <laughs> for saltwater stuff.
1: Uh, well, there's a reason why spinner baits work, and uh, and so there's a lot we could learn from spin fishing uh, in the yeah. fly fishing world, particularly for topwater lures. So
0: yeah, he, he got a lot of grief because you know, well, is this a lure? or Is this Fly, you know?
1: It's,
0: <laughs> right. You know, so, it, uh, he says, hey, it catches fish. That's all I care about. <laughs> right,
1: exactly. That's why you're out there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, there's another question, Paul in uh, Texas, Wilson, Texas. Uh, he says, do you find that the rule big fly, big fish applies to poppers, or are these topwater flies an area where smaller tackle may be more effective?
1: Oh, definitely big fish, big, uh, big fly, big fish. Um, if you fish a small little popper the size of a penny, you're going to get lots of small panfish, juvenile panfish that are going to get hooked. Right? If you fish a big bottle stop popper that's two inches or you know two inches wide and has a big long tail, four inches or so, you got a six inch fly out there. Um, you're not going to get the little bluegills to, to bother you anymore. You're now going to attract the bigger fish because it's a big meal, yeah. and uh, so you know I I definitely believe in big meat for big fish. Um, you know I I fished sli- some large sliders that I've tied up in cold water rivers here in Colorado, and I fished them up and across streams, and I just strip it as fast as I can, like you're like you're fishing for a barracuda. You know, put your rod up uh, be- between your body and your arm, and and uh, just strip and you know, routinely I'll get swipes and, and occasionally hookups from angry brown trout just looking for those meals that appear to be getting away, yeah. um, but not with small stuff. It's the
0: bigger stuff. We've got a couple questions here on color. Uh, Steve in uh, Kentucky and Dino in Michigan kind of maybe combine these um, questions. Uh, Steven uh, asks, since poppers are surface fly. do colors really make a difference? Or is this a preference? And then Dino asks, what factors guide you in color selection? So,
1: maybe you Yeah. Well, these great questions on color because you spend so much time worrying about how to color them, and then here I'm going to tell you colors don't matter, uh, particularly <laughs> for poppers. Um, now, sliders and divers, it does make some difference because those are now going down to where the fish live, and they the fish get to see the side profile of your of your fly. But here's my proof on this. I make a fly that looks exactly like a six-sided dice. It's one die. With all the little dots on it, I put the one dot, the two dots, the three dots, etc., etc. And I put a little fluff of marabou on the back, and that's it. It's a dice on the water with marabou. I've caught all sorts of panfish, bass, smallies on that pattern, and so it's white. It just has dots on it. You know, It's about the action. It's about the popping and the water movement that it creates. Um, For poppers, really the most important color is the color on the bottom of the bug. Um, Is it going to be an irritant or an attractant? And um, there's, again, it goes back to my favorite colors are white, lime green, yellow, chartreuse, and black for poppers on the surface. Now, I, I get a little bit different when I go into divers. I'll get into the reds and oranges and purples, uh, typical bass colors. Um, that's, you know, the time of year depends, and the color water color of the water depends on what I want to uh, choose for the color of my fly. Um, if you're going to, uh, I'll give you uh, another example. If you're going to fish a hopper as a popper, um, hoppers in the early season are small and earth tone-colored. So you'll, you'll want to fish a smaller, muted-color hopper. You're sort of imitating a hopper in the water. But as they grow bigger throughout each summer, they get almost twice the size, three times the size of when they're a small guy. And all of a sudden, they get bright, bright colors. Bright yellows, bright greens, even the touch of red and oranges on some of the species. So you want to go bigger. And more bright with hoppers, so yeah, that's some of the thoughts that I think about when I choose color.
0: You know, also asked, uh, how does water temperature affect your bait selection, and what factors guide you in color selection? Why well, each kind of the latter part?
1: What about? Yeah, that? yeah. Water temp affects my selection, and then how I fish the lure. Those are the two things. You know, if it's really cold, I'm not going to fish on top. I'm going to fish. Um, I would fish a. diver and might even put two feet behind it a black woolly bugger and so i'm not opposed to doing conventional fly fishing lure uh, using fly fishing flies either i mean i I want to catch fish right so you know the the diver is going to be an attractant it's going to create noise and wave uh, sound profiles and all of a sudden they're going to see that little black woolly bugger behind it and they might take that so bass often often take that um you know, the colder the water, the slower I work the bug. Uh, so that's essentially how temperature can affect what I do.
0: Okay. Um, and then Dino also asked about water clarity um, in, in you know, conjunction with these other things we've just talked
1: about. Yeah. Um, so water clarity, I think I covered earlier that if it, if you're clear, um, use, uh, you know, contrasting colors, so black-white, red-white. Uh, chartreuse or all-white. If it's murky, uh, you'll want to use brighter colors and use more flash. Uh, And that's the typical rule of thumb, even in spin fishing.
0: And then uh, another question. Thanks, Dino, for all your good questions here. Uh, What drives you to select a popper, slider, or diver?
1: Well, um, I think it kind of dovetails on what I just said. If the water is warm enough and, and it's... Typically post spawn, that's when I'm going to start using a popper. Um, that's when fish are going to start getting irritated or uh, they might even be hungry and uh, start looking up. The water's warm enough. Uh, so that's when I choose a popper. Um, a slider, if there's a lot of bait fish in what you're, uh, the water you're fishing, a slider, uh, if worked correctly, can uh, imitate an injured bait fish and can be quite uh, uh, productive. And then um, a diver, if I'm fishing frogs, period. I'm fishing a diver, uh, a diver made to look like a frog. Uh, so, um, And then divers in bigger sizes, 6, 8, even 9, 10 inches long for uh, for pike. Um,
0: Don in Montana wants to know, could you compare the use of these lures in fresh versus salt water?
1: Yeah, I... I I've got enough saltwater experience to to say I've, I've tried it and used it and had modest success, but I don't live on saltwater, obviously. So um, I'm sure there's going to be some folks out there that uh, have a lot more experience and, and maybe a different opinion. But in freshwater, uh, my retrieves are de- definitely shorter and more defined, and I, I use more pauses. Um, but in saltwater, I typically retrieve really fast, and I try to make the the lure aggravating. You know, it's an irritant, and it, the way I think about it is in saltwater, I think like a baitfish that's out. That's the lowest on the food chain. And he says, "Geez, I'm out here and I need to find cover fast." So he's trying to boogie somewhere fast, and that's what I'm trying to imitate. Um, and in saltwater, I actually put a trailer behind it. Um, you know, three, four feet behind a, a big, big four or five inch uh, saltwater popper. Uh, the popper does have one hook on it, but you don't even have to have any hook on it. It's really, you're just creating surface commotion. Fish comes by and then he sees whatever you're trailing behind it. Uh, maybe a small uh, bait fish minnow fly that you've tied or something like that. So, again, I think topwater fishers fish too fast. Um, you know, shorten your retrieve, be more defined, and slow down. Uh,
0: got a few more questions, so we'll have to through these pretty quickly. Bill Henry in Brooklyn, New York. He says, "What would you recommend for smallmouth living in a small lake?"
1: Uh, so I I fish a, a local lake here, Horse Tooth Reservoir, which is known for smallies. Um, so my experience um, is derived from there. And I've I fish smallies uh, uh, up in the Wawa area uh, in Canada as well. So it's not I'm not exclusively talking about Colorado, but uh, you know, smallies don't take topwater bugs because they're hungry. They're, they're typically because they're irritated, and uh, particularly uh, post-spawn. So, you know, after spawn, I like pure white and black poppers. I like all chartreuse or all white. That's you know, really what I really like to do with uh, smallies. So hopefully that works uh, in Bill's area in uh, New York.
0: Okay. And then Brian in uh, Kenton, Georgia, asks, uh, he says, no matter how many flies I try, I always seem to have the most luck with a Wilson's Bass Bully. Is this considered a diver or a streamer? I've tried to explain it to friends, and I don't know exactly what to call this go-to fly.
1: Yeah, I, um, I had to refresh myself on this one, and I, after I saw it, I remembered it's really – its I don't consider it a, a diver at all. its It's got so many features of uh, – the best spin fishing lures of all time. It's got a meaty tail (laughs) it's got a jig style head and a a body with lots of rubber legs. It really looks like a jig more so than a diver to me, um, particularly if it's weighted, but that doesn't mean you can't tie it with a floating body and, and and make it like a diver. So, uh, I'm sure Wilson's bass bully is a, a top producing, uh, fly for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then, um, uh, Bill Henry again in New York says we have snakeheads in the largest tidal lake in New York City. Snakeheads are being caught on flies like gurglers. Do you think divers or sliders could be used to? It?
1: I uh, I would love to try that. Uh, that sounds exciting to me. I I know them as the Frankenfish. It's kind of a uh, an ugly looking fish. It's kind of prehistoric looking, if you ask me. But I would think for sure that uh, you could get those um, divers and sliders. Um, you know, gurglers are effective because they create lots of surface commotion and, and sound patterns. So if your slider and divers do the same, I, I said, you're in the game then. I would think that you're you're going to be in the game for this. I'd give it a try. So if I get out that way, Bill, I'm going to look you up. We're, we'll go do some uh, snakehead fishing. <laughs>
0: there, you there you go. Yeah. Well, that about does us. Uh, for tonight, um, we're run out of time and uh, need to start wrapping things up here. But stick with us uh, just a couple more minutes. We are going to be giving away that one year subscription to the Five Fishers International, or I should say membership, and a subscription to Five Fishing and Tying Journal. And we're also going to be giving away uh, copies of Steve's book, Poppers, Sliders, and Divers, and, and Five Fishing Colorado's Indian Peaks Wilderness in Area, uh, both courtesy of, of Steve, uh, Steve Schweitzer. So stick with us and uh, see if you don't win one of these great prizes. And we'll do that in just a minute. The Bristol Bay region of southwest Alaska is home to the largest runs of wild salmon on the planet and some of the best trophy rainbow trout fishing found anywhere. Uh, The pebble mine still remains a great threat to the region, and 2 million acres of federal lands may also be at risk. The entire fly fishing industry has united in this epic conservation battle. Anglers from across the country are joining the fight. Be one of them. Visit SaveBristolBay.org to learn more and to get involved. SaveBristolBay.org. Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage just under the section of tonight's show that says, what do you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. Now it's time to give away our prizes. The winners for our drawings are randomly selected from the show's registration database. And if you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but uh, make sure you do so for the next show uh, so you don't miss out on the chance to get these uh, incredible prizes we have to offer. Uh, if you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show and provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So the first thing we're giving away tonight is a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about Fly Fishers International, go to byfishersinternational.org, byfishersinternational.org. Great organization to be part of and support. Uh, They're international, so no matter where you live, they they will play a role in your area. So um, fire up the database here, and we'll pick a winner. And the winner for this uh, membership is uh, Todd Weeks in Kentucky, Todd Weeks. So congratulations, Todd, on your new membership. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. I'm sure you will. And next, we'll give away a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, which you can learn more about at amatobooks.com. Amato Books publishes periodicals as well as books on fly fishing. So be sure to check out all that they have to offer. Uh, they're a great uh, source for this kind of information. And our winner for that is Frank Williams in New York. Frank Williams in New York. So uh, congratulations, Frank. And uh hope you can do some tying this spring before things really get started. So enjoy that uh, subscription, and um, uh, congratulations. So now what we'll do is we'll give away. Uh, uh, Steve has been so kind to offer two books to give away tonight. So we'll, we'll do this for the first and second place winner. The first place winner will get the Poppers, Spiders, and Divers book. And um, uh, the second place winner will, will get um, the book on um, Colorado's Indian Peaks Wilderness Area. And if you're outside of Colorado and you're um, visiting, uh, Indian Peaks isn't but a couple hours from the, the Denver airport, uh, and you can be up there fishing. So keep that in mind. Uh, and uh, easy drive from the,
1: from the Denver area if you're
0: doing business or something there. So. Um, there we go. I'm just going to clear my queue here and make sure we've got nobody in. So using that uh, form on the home page, that's where you put in your answers. And um, let's just see here on the, uh, let's go with, um, um, there were two types of head material that Steve preferred. Uh, what are those two types of head material? Uh, two types of head material. So let me know what those are and we'll get a couple of winners here. So Steve is um, waiting for some answers here refreshing my cue. Uh, hope somebody took good notes here. Uh, yeah. Um, I'll let you decide this, um, uh, Steve. The the first answer I got was balsa and foam. Is that good enough, or do we yeah, that's,
1: that's yeah, that's good enough. Absolutely, that's
0: good enough. Okay. So Dick in uh, Dragowicz, Dragowicz, Dick Dragowicz. Dick
1: Dragowicz. I know. I know Dick.
0: You do? Okay. <laughs> yeah, a
1: long time ago. From Illinois, I bet you.
0: Yeah, yeah, from Illinois. Yeah. yeah. Northbrook, Illinois. Uh, so, uh, Dick, you're, you're the proud new owner of, of Steve's book uh, on designing uh, hoppers, uh, sliders, and divers. So, uh, Dick, what you need to do is you need to send me your address to info at com, or you can put that in the same text box you just used. And I've got your name. I've got your email address. I just need your shipping address, and then Steve will ship that out uh, to you directly. And uh, I think we have a second winner here: um, uh, balsa and HD foam. That's kind of what I was looking for. Um, yeah. And uh, this is Dave Dillon in uh, Norman, Oklahoma. So Dave, uh, congratulations on that. And uh, we've got two winners here. And uh, Dave, you'll be getting. Um, uh, Steve's book, Fly Fishing Colorado's Indian Peaks Wilderness Area. So, uh, you're not that far away from Colorado. You can scoot on over here and, uh, let's see if you can't fish that area. Beautiful area to, to just be in, period. <laughs> so, uh, um, congrats to both of you guys on winning those, uh, those nice prizes that, uh, Steve has uh, been kind enough to offer. And for those of you that didn't win, well, there's always Amazon.com. And uh, and you can get both of uh, Steve's books uh, there as well. So, great. Uh, Steve, hey, I really appreciate being on the show again. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and uh, absorb your knowledge on so many things. And thanks for sharing all that knowledge with us tonight.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me, Roger. I really do. Thank you.
0: All right. And hopefully all of you have found the archive on our website. If you haven't, there's a couple of links on our homepage links at the bottom of every page. In the archive, you'll find all our past shows, over 175 shows now, which you can search by keyword keyword phrase like trout, tarpon, Madison River, and so forth. Just go ahead and explore, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what you're going to discover there. So check it out. Uh, Our next broadcast will be on April 4th, uh, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern. On that show, I'll be interviewing Steve McLaughlin, and our topic for the show will be Fly Fishing Christmas Island. Steve has taken more than 450 anglers to Christmas Island over the past six seasons and has fished more than 66 days on the atoll for bonefish, giant trevally, uh, bluefin, and golden trevally, as well as landed many milkfish on the fly. So listen in to find out what fly fishing on Christmas Island is all about. We'd like to thank the Fly Fishers International, um, out of Books, Whipbrake uh, Fishing Lodge, Watermaster, and Baja Fly Fishing Company for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future projects. So thanks for listening to Ask on the radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. Good night everyone, and good fishing.